joining us online as well. I want to welcome you guys. Um, okay, I got to let you guys in on why we sang that song. As most of you guys know, um, our, our governor, and again, continue to pray for this man um, and the decisions that are making, but um, they said that there should not be any singing in church. And, um, and I know some of you guys wouldn't mind me not singing, but I don't care. I'm going to sing. And so here, here's the thing with what's going on right now. Just a quick little update. Again, man, they're trying to shut everything back down, I think, because there's a spike. And I'm sorry, but I'm at the point where I don't believe anything they are saying right now. And I don't mean to be a rebel, but I am a rebel in a lot of different ways. And, and I just, again, we're, we're not going to shut down. If they tell us everything needs to shut down, we're not going to shut down this time. And again, for a lot of people, that means you're going to be watching online. And God bless you. Uh, we will continue to do that. And so we, you know, again, if there's only one person here, we will be having Sunday morning church. But we're not going to do that this time. And part of me, again, I'm just not, I, I, think, this, I think this is the hill to die on, not... Yeah. Not three, four months ago. I think now it's like, no, it's all politics now. So with that, um, I know that some of you guys know Mark Matthews and David Boberg. They are like our resident uh, current events, prophecy perspective kind of guys. And we've been praying, and, at, and this, this week coming up sometime, we're going to be doing another update on what's kind of going on. They're going to touch a lot on... Uh, a lot of the organizations that were involved in the protests are going to be bringing up some of the facts of of where where they're from, and and I'm sure they'll they'll give a, an update on just a lot of the numbers and stuff of what's going on with this COVID thing, and and again, just kind of trying to keep you guys abreast. The reason I don't do it all the time is because those guys are so stinking good at what they do. And so I just kind of look to them as like, when, when can you guys come and give all of that? Because you guys don't want to see me all upset and mad because I can't. And so I have to keep it Christian. They don't. Yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, so it just, it, we'll be doing it here, but it will be online. So again, as most of you guys know, like the guys that are watching right now, you can go onto our Facebook page, you can go onto our website, you can go onto our YouTube channel and watch what's going on. If you miss one of these on a Sunday morning, now Thursday nights are, are being uh, taped as well. And so you can always go online and watch it, encourage others. If you know, because I was talking to somebody not too long ago, just touching base, see how they're doing. It's like, well, you know, you know, you've been watching on, online, they're going, no, we didn't even know that. It's like, hey, well, you can catch up on all the Sunday mornings and Thursday nights if you would like. And so, again, just be praying for that because in this next uh, week or so, just kind of be on, on, uh, on, on your toes uh, watching our, our social media for the update, the pers uh, prophecy perspective update. I don't know about you, how you feel about this whole thing, but Jesus is coming. And uh, we're just so excited. And again, man, I, some of the pastors that I talked to going, man, we've been preaching about this. And man, oh man, it just kind of looks a lot closer than it did yesterday, yeah. than it did 
at the beginning of 2020. <laughs> and so we're excited. So if you will, once again, uh, we left Paul in the middle of the action. Another cliffhanger, if you will. Uh, we kind of left him in the middle of him sharing his testimony. And he thought that he was in the middle of it. But it is about to finish in this, in this uh, text this morning. So if you will, turn to Acts chapter 22. And, um, and again, we left Paul hanging there in verse 16. And so we'll pick it up in verse 17 to the end of the, the chapter. And we're basically, basically going to leave him hanging again. Now, just to remind you, we're going to have communion at the end again. Um, it's a self-serve, and so you, if you're watching online, you can pause it and go prepare your communion, and then you could have communion at the end as well. And so we are in Acts chapter 22, beginning in verse 17. Now it happened, when I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple that, uh, I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe in, on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was... I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding their cl the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Verse 22. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then they all cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined by scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion, who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, Take care what you do, for this man is a Roman. And the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. Then immediately, those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was so afraid after he found out that he was a Roman. And because he had bound him. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priest and all the council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Father, we ask your blessing upon this, this portion of Scripture and that I, Lord God, 
the things that I've been praying about and studying and put together that, God, it would be able to go forth with power and that you would challenge us and that you would just encourage us at the same time that, Father, we would hear the voice of the Lord even right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I love the fact that Paul still has these guys' attention. Again, he, he's, he's, with all that's been going on, he's been talking to them. He has shared some history with them as he got their attention. He shared the history of his testimony. And then he also got to share his conversion. And now he continues to share with them as to his walk. What happened after the fact? What was going on in his life? That is to say of what happened after the conversion. Because there's a, there's a portion of your testimony of what happened afterwards. And that one continues to, 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 to grow as you, as you age in the Lord, as you mature in the Lord. And so there's something that happens after that conversion. The, it's, it's, it's a must, I would have to say. That, that your testimony continues to build. Now, part of his conversion that he didn't, that we didn't get to touch on last week was the fact that the Lord sent him somewhere. After, after that, that incident on the road, the Lord sent him to where there was a disciple, a brother now, who would walk him through what had just happened. And I bring that up because we didn't touch on it a lot last week. But some people might say, well, when was Paul converted? Was it when he had that exchange with the Lord from verses 6 to 10? Or, or was he converted in verse 16 where it tells us that he was baptized, his sins were washed away, and he called upon the name of the Lord? When did that happen? How, how, how is it? Because some would say that he really didn't know what was happening in verses 6 through 10 when he had this encounter with the Lord. And that you really aren't saved until somebody tells you of what happened. Now, again, I, I don't know how this all works. I, I am not the Holy Spirit, and thank God. Because that would be frying a lot of people right now. <laughs> but that's beside the point. I, I do love the fact that God uses people to be His hands, His arms, His, his feet, and His mouth. But we are just vessels. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that saves people. So was Paul saved when, when God knocked him off his high horse and he has this exchange, what must I do? Knowing who, who, who he's talking to now. Was that when he was saved, even though he didn't know exactly what had happened, except that now he's blind and I, now I'm telling you where to go? Or was it after Ananias kind of walked him through the process later on that day? Or maybe three days later when he got his sight? How was it? When is it? Because some of us would say, well, you really don't know. Because oftentimes I throw out the invitation, somebody raises their hand, and people will say, well, how do you know that that saved them? I don't. And I don't think it's up to us to know. 
Exactly. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. I've talked to many people, several people, not many, many, but several people who, when I asked, so when did you come to the Lord? Oh, one of the times that you, you know, threw out the invitation. Knowing who I know and where you guys sit, it's like, well, I never saw your hand go up. It's like, well, I did it without my hand going up. It's like, oh, okay. So again, is it the actions or is it the heart? And so that's why I bring that up because I think what God was doing in using Ananias, he was just confirming what had gone on. And it's interesting because he tells them in verse 14, as we go back a little bit, then he, Ananias, said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will, and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. And so God had chosen Paul to know, to see, and to hear what the Lord had in store for him. And so when we get to verse 17, and it says, then it happened. This is part two, then it happened. That's what, what we called it last week. But then it happened, you know, in the process of time, as he continued to share his testimony, it came to pass. As he was making that transition from, from his conversion to his walk, as he has, has now made that turn of saying, I got saved, this is what happened when I got saved. And then these things started happening afterwards. Paul is still using things and words that are familiar with the Jewish people here in our text. He is still identifying with them when he says that he returned to Jerusalem. He was praying in the temple and that he received a vision being in a trance. All of these things, these guys were associated with. And so you could almost see that as he's talking, these guys are now leaning in. Yes, yes, and what else? Because to me, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, man, these guys must just be enthralled in hearing what happened in this man's life. And I think oftentimes, again, not that we should, and I've shared, I shared this last week, we don't embellish our our. our our testimony, but if we can engage with people and find common ground, people will lean forward and go, tell me more. Tell me exactly what's going on. How, how, again, maybe they dialogue with you. But I can imagine that these guys are going, whoa. And then he says, when I returned to Jerusalem. Now, that phrase has to do with the fact that after his conversion in Damascus, there was a lot going on between that, when that happened, and our, our verse right here in verse 17. You see, he didn't return to Jerusalem right away. He came from Jerusalem, but he didn't get saved and go back to Jerusalem. But it almost sounds like that's what happened here. And so I want to I be able to share... A little bit more. He doesn't share that in his testimony, but I think it's important for us to understand that there's some time that has happened, and this is why I tell you there's so many ways to share your testimony. Paul just kind of skipped several years here from his conversion to the time that we have in our text. He didn't go right back, and so it's important for us to kind of 
See what came to pass. Now it happened. Because it had been about three years after his conversion that he came or returned to Jerusalem. And so this is what happened. Again, to get a a, a context in our text here, turn, if you will, a few chapters back to chapter 9. Chapter 9 is where we see the conversion of Paul take place. And I want to read to you something that, again, we covered last year sometime when we were in chapter 9 from verses 19 to, to, to 26 to give you an understanding of what was happening in his life. So, so again, Ananias has just shared with them his eyes have been opened. And in verse 19, it says, So when he had received food and was strengthened, his eyesight came back. So now that he has received food and was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he was the Son of God. So all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who call on, the, on this name in Jerusalem? And he has come for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased in all the more, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. And their plot became known to Saul, and, the, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. In verse 26, then Saul, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were, not, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And so we get a portion of the scripture that he left out, and I'm thinking, that's a pretty amazing story. He should have shared that. But sometimes it's just not appropriate to share every little thing, every little detail. But I wanted to read to you, and I have it on my notes here, from Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 and, and uh, to 18, because he shares some testimony of what happened in that time frame. Galatians 1, 15 to 18, it says, <clears throat> But when it pleased God, Paul speaking, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son to me that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. <clears throat> so where we begin our text this morning in verse 17 is, is, is when he got to Jerusalem and he was going to only be there for 15 days. Paul has now been saved for three years up until this point. And so he, he returns to Jerusalem. He still goes to the temple 
to pray at the temple, and this is where he has this trance, this vision. Now, the word trance in the Greek, the Greek word for trance is um, ecstasy. That's where we get our word ecstasy from. And it means a displacement of the mind, i.e. bewilderment, be amazed, amazement, astonished, trance. Now, the, according to the Vines Dictionary, that word trance, ecstasies, it says this, a condition in which ordinary consciousness and the perception of natural circumstances are withheld and the soul is susceptible only to the vision imparted by God. So it's specific to what's going on here is what the vines is doing. Here it was specific that this trance had to do with God imparting to him some understanding. And so it was a combination of divine revelation that we see in verse 18 where, where God, where Jesus speaks to him to make haste to get out. But we also know from, from Acts chapter 9, what I didn't read a little later, that it was also human direction that, that, that led Paul to make haste and get out of Jerusalem. And he would eventually go to Tarsus. Back in, in chapter 9, to, uh, 18, uh, 28 to uh, 30, it says, so, when, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed with the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. So again, you get the full story here. Again, he shares a small portion of, of the testimony. And again, each and every one of you has a testimony. And there's certain aspects that you share and certain aspects that you don't. But you might share it somewhere else. So what Paul is doing, he's only giving them snippets of what's happened in his life. And so we find out that, man, everybody wanted to kill him after he became a Christian. When he was in Damascus, they wanted to kill him. The Jews, the people that, that he was supposed to be on their side, but now he, is, he has left them. He has become an apostate, if you will, of the Jewish people and now joined with the way. And after being in Arabia for so long and learning from the Lord the things, he comes back and when he goes and visits them in Jerusalem for 15 days, he disputed with, he, 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 he reasoned with the Hellenists and yet they're going, we want to kill this guy. So that's when he leaves. That's when verse 18 comes into play where Jesus tells them, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. And in verse 19, it says, So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also 
was standing by consenting to his death and guarding, his, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So I was curious as I got to verse 19 who they were here in verse 19. Who's the they? Which kind of took me back to verse 18 because there's another they there as well. The they in verse 18 were probably the inhabitants of Jerusalem, which probably included both the Jews and the Christians, that they were not going to believe his report concerning Jesus. You see, the Jews would not listen to him because he had become, in their view, again, an apostate. And they hated him, and, and, they, and, and, and they would want to persecute him, and they wanted to kill him. So the they, in verse 18, they're not going to believe you or receive your testimony. But also, quite possibly, the Christians were not likely to receive him and his testimony because of what he used to do. He was a former persecutor of the church. And I'm sure they had their suspicions because after becoming a Christian, he didn't go right back to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia for three years. And so it's quite possible that they just, they just thought, well, he never really connected with us. How could we really trust him? So the they in verse 19, where it says, so I said, Lord, they know. Can go either way as well. The Jews would see him in a positive light. They, they, they know what I did for them. They know what I was all about. They, they were probably impressed with the fact that this man was so zealous about persecuting believers and even was a part of the murder of the martyr Stephen. And yet they were probably impressed, wow, he's had quite a conversion. On the other hand, the Christian would, might see him and not, not accept him because they, they know what he had done. And they would have seen him in a negative light and may not have received him because he did persecute the church and he had blood on his hands. Even though the Christians are supposed to forgive, <laughs> there's still something about knowing about somebody's life that sometimes we hold it against them. Not wanting to, but it's hard just to let that go. And so you can imagine that Paul, as he is sharing his testimony here, <laughs> he's shared some history he shares some conversion. He's sharing about his walk with bringing some more history into there. I'm sure many in the crowd may have remembered Stephen's death, even though it's 20-something years later. And so I can imagine that Paul is just going for it, going, man, this testimony is going great. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you do have people leaning forward. Yes, yes, tell me more. And these people, man, they, they are so into it, and he is going, he's going, man, this is going really, really good. And then he shares what the Lord instructed him to do in verse 21. 
And then, after that, <laughs> the Lord told me, hey, depart, and I will send you as far from here, or send you far from here to the Gentiles. <laughs> Everything just stopped. <laughs> Again, you would think like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. I don't know how, how many times you've ever done that. You're sharing, and then you say something, and you could just see people see, you see them just check out and going, oh, shoot, what did I say? How did I say it? Maybe I should retract it. You know, I don't know if that's what Paul is going through here, because again, I, I feel like me, we second guess what we're saying, and well, some of us talk so much that it's not until like the day later that you're going, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But verse 22 says, and they listened to him until this word. <laughs> and some might think, well, poor Paul. He didn't get to finish his testimony. And that's true. He probably still had a lot that he was going to share with them. He didn't get to share it. But he, get, he did get to share with them certain things, guys. Understand this. He got to share about his conversion. Many who he's talking to remember him beforehand. And maybe they've seen him around Jerusalem here and there, and people were always going, there's that traitor. There's that guy. The, the church in Jerusalem, again, as much as he wanted to be their brother, they still always had this little thing about him because he did go to the Gentiles. And we saw that in the, a couple chapters ago. But he got to capture their attention. And he shared with them how the Lord captured his heart and changed him. Understand that. He got to share that part of it. In other words, he is that living proof of a changed life. And nobody could take that away from him. Understand that a couple of the times that we've covered in this chapter, a couple of the times in the process of sharing his testimony, he got to tell them, and the Lord spoke to me. We, we, we see a lot of red letters in this chapter, if you have that Bible. The Lord spoke to him. Saul, Saul, Lord, what am I to do? I am Jesus of Nazareth, or who are you? Arise and go. Make haste. I will send you. All those were things that, that he, he knew that he had heard from the Lord. Again, on the day of his conversion, three years later, the Lord's still revealing things to him. Speaking to him. And so a couple of the times that he's sharing his testimony, he is saying, the Lord spoke to me. Now, they could have dismissed him right there and said, this guy's, this guy's a loon. This guy's a little crazy. Now, again, when you're sharing your testimony, you start telling people, oh, and the Lord told me this, the Lord told me. I can almost guarantee you because I would think the same thing. What? God speaks to you? Hmm. Cuckoo. How, how could God speak to you? <laughs> well, we know, and again, that's kind of our little Christianese, God speaks to us through His Word. And sometimes He impresses stuff on our hearts, and people are going, yeah, whatever. But He got to share that with them. 
he had the opportunity to tell these, this crowd and some of Jewish officials that this Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified by them, was very much alive. And that he is the Messiah. That he is the, the, the very God that they worshipped. That he had shown himself to them. And so guys, I want to encourage you, never underestimate the things that you get to share in your testimony. Again, you don't want to always stay in your history. You want to share, when did the Lord capture your heart? Because that is the moment that other people are going, well, if he could capture your heart and you're a knucklehead, huh. <laughs> then, then he could probably speak to anybody. Or he could capture anybody's heart. Or if they say, man, if the Lord can capture an intellectual's heart or, or whatever heart, then maybe he could capture my heart. See, never underestimate what the Holy Spirit can do in somebody's life just by you sharing your testimony. You don't have to know all the scriptures. You don't even have to know, okay, what's the process again? Jeez, because I can't tell you how many times people are like, hey, pastor, can you talk to him? It's like, what, because I'm the professional here? You could do it. I don't need to do it. I love to do it. Don't get me wrong. But never underestimate the work of the Holy Spirit. He is still good at being the Holy Spirit in 2020. <laughs> and that's why, again, with all the craziness that's going on, it does not surprise me that God is going to use this because the Holy Spirit is still good at being the Holy Spirit in 2020. And He could use your life and He could use my life to continue because He could use a little bit and He could use a lot of bit. And so you can know a little or know a lot and God can use it. And so they began to raise their voices and say, away with such a fellow from the earth. He is not fit to live. <laughs> from one moment to the next, man. We, we, we saw in the last couple of studies, man, that these guys were completely quiet, silent, hanging on every word. <laughs> and they hear one thing. <laughs> one thing. And it probably started with a, boo, boo. Just one little hiss, <laughs> one little like, boo, and the crowd went wild. These Jews had such a hatred for the Gentiles that they couldn't stand that another Jew would go and talk to them. And again, if this God, if this Jesus is the one that telling you to go do that they could not comprehend that and the fact that you're saying that he is the messiah and he is saying those things it was so outrageous to them so much so that they were willing to put a man to death over this whole issue and not even think twice about it the next day away with such a fellow The, the outrage and the indignation that is being expressed here is not just that, that they didn't want a, a, a Gentile to be con converted to Judaism because there were Gentiles that were converted to Judaism. 
But it was the fact that Paul did not require them to adhere to the law first and foremost. Again, Jesus even said to the Pharisees back in Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! He says, For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, one Gentile. You go and do that. And when you have won him, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. My, mild, my mild and meek Jesus talking like that, right? It's like, man, you guys are the worst. See, Paul had something going here. They required this, their, their proselytes to, to go through the whole process. That would be okay, but don't forsake the law. And again, Paul didn't tell anybody not to. He just says, hey, man, you're in. They not only wanted Paul out of their sight, they didn't even want him to use up any more air here on earth. He wasn't fit to breathe the same air that these guys were breathing. In other words, they wanted him dead. And if he had not been in the custody of the Roman army, I could guarantee you they would have tore him up limb by limb on their own. Wouldn't even think twice about it. Let the dogs clean up the blood. It says that they tore their clothes. Now, this is not the same kind of tearing that you would hear a king do or a priest do, that he would tear his clothes because of grief or sorrow or some blasphemous thing. This was more that they're tearing off their clothes so they can get a better shot to pick up the rocks to throw because they're ready to, 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 to stone this guy. Now, I can guarantee you, Paul is not volunteering at that point. Hey, I'll hold your garments here, guys, <laughs> as he did with Stephen. No, they're, throwing their ca they're casting their clothes off this time to stone him. And the throwing of the dust up was another way of expressing their indignation and rage and malice because they couldn't get to him. And so because of all that, it says in verse 24, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Get him out. Get him in. And said that he should be examined by scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So once again, it seems like the commander steps in and basically saves Paul's life from those who wanted him dead. And the commander now wants to get to the bottom of this. So much so that he wants him examined under scourging. At this point, Paul may have had a better chance with the angry mob outside getting tore up limb by limb and stoned than being scourged in this way. Now, because the commander did not understand the Hebrew language, the Aramaic, Aramaic that, that Paul was speaking in, he must have been confused about, all of a sudden these guys are leaning forward, now all of a sudden they're, they're shouting for this guy to be dead. What the heck is going on? And so he is determined to get to the bottom of this, even if that meant scourging, flogging this guy to get a confession from him. 
You see, this flogging, this, this scourging, is, is, is different when, from when Paul was beaten with rods over in Philippi. And apparently, he had got beaten with, rod, with rods two other times, according to 2 Corinthians 11. This scourging here is even different than the 39 lashes that the Jewish people would administer to other people, to other Jews, then that would be with long whips. And, and, and it tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four that Paul had received that kind of scourging five times. So you can imagine the scars that Paul wore on his body, being scourged so many times and flogged, beaten with rods. This kind of scourging here, this Roman scourging, scourging, was afflicted by a shorter whip that had embedded in it pieces of metal and bone that, that they would use with a shorter wooden handle, it says. And oftentimes this was unlimited. The 39 lashes, it was 40 lashes that were administered in the Jewish law. Minus one for mercy. Thank you, Jesus. But the Romans didn't have that law. So it was kind of unlimited. And that's the kind of scourging that we saw Jesus go through in Matthew 27, 26. And, 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 and that kind of scourging, again, oftentimes people didn't survive that, depending how, how long they kept on, on hitting you. And oftentimes they would leave people paralyzed, disabled. I mean, we, we, we see that Jesus, after the scourging, he carries the cross, but not for long. He just can't. He was all hamburger meat on his back. But it says that they bound Paul with thongs. This, this, these thongs were, were, were straps. And, and normally, they would bind him to, for the scourging, for this flogging. And the floggee, the guy that's going to be flogged, they would put him over a stump or a block and they would take these straps and tie it to either to the, ground, to the ground or to the block itself to where now your whole back is exposed. And so that's what they normally did. They tied him with these, 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 these straps now, I would have to say that when you get to this point of being bound and being put on this, this, this stump or this block, there's very little time for chit-chat, for small talk. And yet, it is at this very moment that Paul decides to ask a question. Excuse me, sir. I have a question. Is it lawful? For you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? You know, you could have said a little something earlier. <laughs> you had the time to say, hey guys, uh, as they're taking them in, hey guys, I'm a Roman citizen, man. But he doesn't do that until they've gone through the process. You can imagine the commander has already given the instructions, hey, flog this guy. I'm going to go into my desk over here, into my office, to go fill out this paperwork that I have to fill out for all this mess that's going on because they kept records of everything, guys. So, so he's probably in his office filling out this paperwork going, and they started speaking Aramaic. And I couldn't understand. And he's going on and on. And so you could imagine 
what's going on here because the law said that, that a Roman citizen could not be scourged or flogged. Not that they couldn't, but if they are uncondemned without a trial and not proven guilty, they were not, it went completely contrary to the law. It forbid them to bind and scourge a Roman citizen. And so it's interesting that it is now, as he is being bound, that he poses the question to the centurion. Is it lawful for you to do this? You could imagine he caught this guy's attention that quick. And so you could imagine when he goes over to the commander... The centurion probably said, say, what? What you talking about? Come on, Willis, tell me what you're talking about. And you can imagine the commander doing the same thing when he says, hey, uh, hey commander, um, take care of what to do with this guy because he's a Roman citizen. Say, what? What you talking about? This is mind-blowing here. Why didn't Paul do this earlier? He could have done this earlier, but he didn't. And I don't know how you proved a Roman citizenship when you're getting flogged. I don't know what you have on here. Maybe they had an ID on you. It's like, no, really, man, it's like in my back pocket. You know, I'm a Roman citizen. I don't know how you proved that. And the commander wastes no time to get back to where Paul is bound. Are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. <laughs> you, you can imagine this guy, get these things off of him. Like, ugh. You can imagine, but, but I, again, my mindset is I'm going through this, going, why didn't he pull out his Roman citizenship card earlier? Why is that? Why is it now the time? And it wasn't, 10 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, why was, when he was, when they had first taken him out of the mob, why didn't he say before he said anything about the testimony? I'm a Roman citizen. He had already told them he was from Tarsus. He already kind of gave him a quick rundown as to who he was. But he hadn't shared it yet. And guys, this is where, again, I told you guys a couple weeks, pray for me, man. Because I know our rights as American citizens. When do we get to pull out that card in all the cr craziness that's going on? When do we as Christians go, hey, you're trampling on my citizenship here. And when do we say, okay, Lord, I'll just go before the, sh the slaughter and not say a word. That, that's what we find. And so I want the wisdom because there's wisdom here. Somehow, Paul says, now is the time. It wasn't three minutes ago. It wasn't 10 minutes ago. It wasn't yesterday. But now is the time. And you're going, well, he was just trying to save, save himself from being scourged. Well, quite possibly. But he already knew that he was going to be beaten and, and all these things were going to happen to him. The Lord had already told them that. That he was going to be bound. He wasn't afraid, but he wasn't going to be foolish either. And that's what we as Christians need to understand. 
When is the Lord telling us to be quiet? When is the Lord telling us to comply? When is the Lord telling us, stand up? Call these guys the hypocrites that they are. Because again, we saw Jesus earlier calling the, 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 the Pharisees hypocrites. That they were sons of hell. You make, them, you make these guys sons of hell just like you guys. Again, dude, it's like, I could get unchristian really quick. But I want to be Christian even if I have to stand up and continue with that testimony in my life. And that's where we are all at, not just me, you as well. Because you guys are the ones that are going out into the world as well. When do you comply and when do you say, no, no more? This guy, he says, hey man, I paid a lot of money. With a large sum, I got my citizenship. During that time, Emperor Claudius, who reigned, well, it was a couple years earlier, he, he reigned from 40, 41 to, to 54. Right now it's 57. It was impossible to buy Roman citizenship legally. And so this commander had gotten it as a bribe somehow. He bought his way to citizenship. And those who were selling it off could line their pockets all day long. It was no biggie. And so the commander is boasting about how he obtained his, and Paul seems to be light years ahead of him going, oh, I was born a Roman citizen. So you can imagine this guy going, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. You've been a, a citizen since this long, and you never brought that up? wasn't the right time. However Paul's father obtained it, we don't know. But Paul used this as a witness. His Roman citizenship, he used it as a witness for Jesus Christ. One way or another, he was going to use this. And again, so could anybody claim to be a Roman citizen to keep from getting flogged? Well, apparently, if you made a false claim of being a Roman citizen and they found out, then you were liable of the death penalty. So somehow they knew when you were and when you were not. And so it says, as we're finishing up here, immediately, in verse 29, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. And the commander was so also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. Knowing that he had put Paul in chains, he was now fearful. Because if the Roman higher-ups and him knew that he had violated this law, then he would pay a big penalty as well, maybe his life. So the, the soldiers had made two big mistakes here. They had bound him and they had scourged him without getting all the information. They were jumping to conclusions. Why? Because there was a big old mob out there that's ready to kill him. And they presumed that he was guilty without getting all the facts. And so no doubt the commander and the rest of these men were probably really, really kind to him now. Oh, 
up. Oh, come on over here, buddy, old pal. Fellow citizen. Compadre. You see, God intervenes here and he uses the power of the Roman Empire <laughs> to protect his servant and to eventually get him to Rome. The, the, the entire time that Paul has been in Jerusalem has been filled with some serious misunderstandings. But he pressed on, using wisdom along the way. I'm sure some of his friends were probably thinking, told you so, Paul. We try to warn you, Paul. But for Paul and those who were close to him, it may have looked like the end of the road, but this is just the beginning as to what God's going to do from here on out if you read the, the rest of, the, of the, the book. You see, Paul would use this in his life, being in this situation, he would witness again and again to people who, whom he would never have met had he not been a Roman prisoner in the first place. Oh, Paul would get to Rome. And the Roman government would pay the bill. <laughs> this chapter, guys, as we're closing up here, has to do with Paul sharing his testimony. But we also see the wisdom of what Paul was saying. Even, even when we think, man, he was cut abruptly. No, God, that was God doing all of this. Things had to get done. And so again, I don't know how Paul did it, but he was using the wisdom of God. For us as believers. Think about your testimony. Think about what God has done in your life. I don't know how long it's been for you that you've gotten to share your testimony. But pray. Pray for an opportunity. Pray that an opportunity would just pop up to share your testimony. Can you? Would you? be able to share a five-minute testimony of what God has done? Would you be able to do it in 15? What if God has you share it for a half hour or more? Because people are going, tell me more about what God has done in your life. Because, guys, we get that opportunity all the time. Pray that throughout this next week, God would open a door. Put yourself... Pray that. You're going, I don't want to pray that. It's like, dude, do it. It's exciting when all of a sudden God is using you to minister to someone else just by your life. Pray and ask for wisdom as to how, when, what to share. You know, as, as we're going to partake in communion, I was thinking about this this morning. <laughs> this on November 21st I think I shared it with you 1979 the Lord captured my heart I was brought up as a Catholic and the only time that I would take communion 
the Eucharist was if I would have gone to, to confession. And I don't know if some of you guys who are Catholic, you know that. It's like I hated doing that. It's like you go into this little room and they put the little thing down and now you have to confess your sins. And now after that, you, I'm, I'm sure not all Christians do, or all Catholics do that anymore, but then it was after that that you could go and receive communion. So when I first got saved and I started going to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and they had communion for the first time, it was so odd to me. It was so different for me because now I didn't go into a little room. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't looking for them either, but, but now they, they not only had the cracker, the host, <laughs> as I knew it, but they also had a little, it's like, do we get to have some wine? I didn't know it was orange juice or, or grape juice. But be that as it may, it, it, there was a difference. And I don't know where you're at today with that. Because again, I was talking, I think it was Suzanne was sharing with me how, how strange it was for her years ago when she first started coming here and it, or into a Christian church that it was so odd. Guys, that it would never be odd for us anymore. If you are a believer, this is what, again, we get to go back to the testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. To be able to partake, to be a part of his testimony because we're part of his body. And he, was, he gave it up for us. He was scourged, as we were talking about Paul being scourged. He, he allowed that to happen. He's the, the God of the universe. And he is allowing man, his creation, he is allowing man, his creation, to do whatever they want to him. From the beatings to the scourgings, to hanging him on the cross. And all of that he did on our behalf. And so when we partake here, and it will be self-serve again. And Thomas will, will do a couple of songs. You take it back. And again, if, if you weren't here last time when we did this, we have some new little things. We just touched the outside. But the, the, the cracker, you got to peel the thin little top off. And there's, there's a little cracker thing or, or wafer. And then when you're ready for the juice, you can peel the rest of it off. And then you can partake. But let's pray as we close up here and, and as we remember the Lord and the testimony that He has set up for us. Father, we...